Man, I love a good power tool. Uh, who, who said that? Who gave me that who over there? All right, you know what I'm talking about. I know, hey, listen, I know half of you turkeys that work over at AEDC love that job mostly because you get to play with big old tools. Big old crazy. Mary Ford's laughing over there because you know it's right. You know it's right. You know, Ryland worked over there for a long time, had this magic hammer. It was like something, I don't know what it was, but he loved that hammer. I love a good power tool. What, somebody tell me a good power tool that you love. Oh, come on. I'm up here. Let's do it. Come on. What, a drill? I love a drill. I love a good drill. In fact, I love all the different things you can plug onto a drill and make it do different stuff. I've got a friend. Uh, he's actually a pastor over at Trinity Lutheran. And he likes to make barbecue. And you know what he loves to use to pull his pork with after he makes his barbecue butts and whatnot? He has this attachment that goes on his drill. And this, he sticks it down in the bucket and turns on the drill and shreds it. Now, I don't know if it shreds it any better than just using your hands or whatnot, but I bet it's a lot more fun, right? Who wouldn't want to do it that way? That's a great. Somebody else, tell me a good power tool. A leaf blower? Man, that is great. You know, my wife, we had, I had to clean out our gutters this last week. And you know what she wanted me to do? She wanted me to get on the ladder with the, and, and use the, uh, use, stick the leaf blower down, you know, down in and get the gutter. I didn't do that, and I wish I had. It would have been a lot more fun. I kind of straight up my hands doing it the other way. But a leaf blower is great. All of our kids love to use the leaf blower. Okay. Now, when Deacon does it, he turns it on, and it starts turning him around in a circle. It's extremely entertaining, a lot of fun to watch. But they all love doing it because they like turning it on. They like the loud noise, and they like to see all the, the leaves go away. Somebody else, tell me something else. Good. A jackhammer? Who said that? That sounded like a tiny voice. Was that you? Is that Aiden Abrams? Aiden Abrams using a jackhammer is something I would love to see. I would love to see you using a jackhammer and Deacon trying to blow the debris away. I think that'd be a fun, I think that'd be a fun combination. That'd be a good afternoon, okay? Actually, I went over to the Abrams last weekend, and uh, Joel was watching all of the kids, okay? He had, he had all of his and all of mine. My, my uh, wife was, and uh, Kelly and Andrea were out of town, and so Joel had all our kids because I had, I had a meeting. Went back over there, and... Joel, you know, he's obviously, you know, planning some really kid-friendly activities, um, you know, while he's there. So I'll go, I'll go over there and I pull into the backyard. And you know what Joel's doing with all these children? You know what he's doing? Firing up a chainsaw. <laughs> I was like, man, there's no reason. There's no, I mean, there's, there's no wonder why my son loves coming over here so much. I mean, chainsaw is like the prototypical fun Power tool. Also, dangerous is all get out. Okay, I had a friend that like cut a huge gash in his leg with a chainsaw one time. Okay, almost really almost killed him. It, it, super dangerous kind of tool, but man, it, it also entirely satisfying. Right when you fire up the chainsaw and you uh, can take you take down a, a tree or you know cut it up into little pieces. It just you know in the in the immortal words of Tim Allen makes you <laughs> right kind of gives kind of. Kind of gives you that feeling of, man, this is in incredible. I love a good power tool. I love, I, I love to use something like that. Or it's, it's just, it really is entirely fun. I brought a power tool with me today. I have had it in my hand this whole time. And in fact, that chainsaw that Joel could barely get to work would have a hard time Standing up against a single 
match. In terms of the power it could unleash, I mean, you can, you can trim down some trees in a little afternoon, but a single match can clear out a forest. James says that that tongue that lives inside your mouth is a lot like this. That it holds within it the capacity to do incredible, destructive harm. He says, don't you know that a, with just a single spark, an entire forest is set ablaze. He's a master of metaphors in this piece. He also he compares some other little tiny things that can do some great work, like the rudder of a ship that's able to turn it and, and take it into an entirely new direction, or uh, the, bri- uh, the, the bridle of a horse that's able to uh, lead a, you know, a huge, powerful animal around. But he's, he's doing all of these things because James wants us to understand at this point in his uh, little letter, Uh, a significant, important lesson that we actually, most of us already know. And that is simply this. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. Speech is powerful. The way that you talk and the the kinds of things that you say are, are powerful instruments in your hands. And James is writing something there here that's not surprising. All of us know this. We, can, uh, we, we perceive this from a very early age. Where are all my, our, my toddler parents at? If you have a toddler in your house right now, raise your hand for me. Okay, all right, yeah. Hey, how long does it take when those little munchkins learn to start speaking before they learn how to use those words to manipulate you? It's like in the first set of things they say, right? And in fact, they begin to use even those things that aren't quite speech yet. They use that little proto-speech to learn to to, to use you to impose their will, right? From the time that we are teeny tiny, we learn the power of words. And we learn that we can use the things that we say to somehow amazingly change the way other people feel, and to change the things that they, that they do. And whether that's, you know, I want daddy to come bring me some food, or I want somebody to change my diaper, or I want to shape the way that my coworkers think about me, or I want to get the people in my family to do what I think they should do, we learn early on that words are powerful and we refine our use of them for the rest of our lives, learning more and more crafty crafty and creative ways to use words to do the things that we want. And yet, For all the skill that we develop in using speech, using it as a tool to get what we want, we are somehow still mystified by what our speech can do. Like a toddler playing with a chainsaw, we find that the thing in our hands and the thing in our mouths is can do things and kind of get away from us without us really even understanding what's happening. How many of you have been in a conversation even in the last week where you felt like your mouth was getting you in trouble? 
where he felt like the thing that you use to somehow control other people, somehow that tongue inside your mouth was actually the thing running you rather than you running it, and it was somehow beginning to take over your life a little bit. See, as much as we're able to kind of uh, use our words as, to impact other people, we find that they, that impact actually a lot of times bounces right back and, and comes back to have a strong impact on our own lives too. And sometimes we feel like it's a powerful runaway force that we can't have any control over whatsoever. And actually, James isn't very encouraging about that either. James says that it's such a force that we can tame. He says humans have been able to tame all kinds of creatures out there in the wilderness, but nobody's figured out how to tame the tongue yet. And he's right. It's hard, it's difficult, and it is a challenge for each of us to learn how to use our speech instead of letting our speech use us. And it feels like our big challenge is not whether or not we can learn how to make our words have power, okay? It's Are we able to learn how to use our speech for the right kind of power, like the right kind of work in the world? Can we point that powerful tool in the right direction so that its impact on the world around us and even in our own lives, that impact ends up being a positive thing rather than being a destructive negative thing? And it's a pretty open question. It's a pretty open question. I want us to think about what it would mean for us as a community together, in the internal life that we have, and what it would mean for our life and our mission in the community in which we live if we could learn to use collectively, if we could all kind of learn together to be a people whose speech had a positive impact on the world. If our, if our speech and the way that we talked could be a positive force. I want us to think about what it would mean for us, us to be a people of blessing. And I want to say something here um, before I kind of dive into uh, something that I hope will be a little bit of a practical way of handling that. I want to go ahead and offer um, maybe a little pushback about the way that we've use this in the past, okay? And the way that we've thought about speech in the past, because the, we've, we've made it way too easy for ourselves in this regard. Taming our tongue in the church in which I grew up, and I think this is not just a, a phenomenon limited to that particular space or people, it basically meant staying away from about eight different words, Right? And in fact, actually, when you're real little, there's about 15, and then you get about, you know, 10, 11, 12, and they say, well, you can have these other seven, it'll be okay now, right? I mean, think about the the stages through which a child has to go in order to have appropriate words to be able to describe their rear. When they're three, we don't even let them talk about it like they even have one, Okay? You know, somehow you get to use progressively more descriptive terms. That's weird, right? Is that weird to anybody else? 
Okay, I've got four kids. I spend a lot of time trying to tell them what the distinction words and why, why my 11-year-olds are able to use some kind of ways to describe their rear and the, 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 the five-year-old is able to only use you know, like two of those. Okay? Here, let, let me say it a little stronger, okay? In the church, somehow we have accepted a really sinister trick of the devil. That has taught us that as long as we stay away from a handful of magically bad words, then our speech is okay. And as long as you're using sweet words, you can say whatever you want to about somebody else. As long as you don't use those seven or eight bad words. That ain't what this text is talking about. And I have a high suspicion... That if given the choice between a person that uses sweet religious language and they use it to tear another person down and a person that uses what we would call foul profanity, but they use it to build another person up, i got a pretty good strong suspicion about what the Lord in heaven would prefer. And I don't think he cares about you using strong religious language, sweet smelling language, if you use it to tear other people down and that's what you do with your language. God doesn't want that. Acting like because we don't say a cuss word, we can use whatever kind of gossip or whatever kind of tear down or what kind of demeaning, angry kind of thing that we want to say. We think that's okay with God? Like God can't see through that? See, the point of this whole thing about speech is not which combination of words you use. It's what do you do with those words? What is the purpose what is the work that you're employing the power of the tongue for? So I want to think about what it means to be a people of blessing. Not just a, a group of people that are able to restrain from using a handful of words, but instead a group of people that knows how to constantly and persistently use their speech to build other people up. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a community like that? Where the things that you hear, the things that you take in, are always things that are uplifting. That they're, they're things that build you up and help you, you know, un understand that you're a loved person. That you're a valued person. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a community like that? Or would it really matter to you if you were in a community where people didn't say bad words? But somehow they always found a way to cut you just the same. Which would you rather be a part of? Let's be a community of blessing. A community of people that knows how to take our most powerful tool and employ it for the building up of each other and for the, way, for, for the ability to make other people understand and perceive the love of God. James here, in chapter 3, has this line. He says, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then this is... James 3, verse 9, he says, 
with it, we bless the Lord and Father. And with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. So instead, let's be a people that uses our speech to set afire the love of God in each other. It's interesting that he says this. It's kind of, to me, as I was reading this text in in James, it kind of made me think of that old blessing to Abraham or the old call of Abraham. And it talks in there, it talks about how um, uh, from Abraham, God's kind of going to align with the blessings and curses that Abraham kind of issues in the world, right? But here James says, you know what? We're not meant to be a people that is both blessing of God and then cursing of people. They're meant to be the people that is universally using our language to bless. Speech has been a big issue in James all the way through. It, uh, op- from that opening part where he talks about let everybody uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry uh, to little subtle things that he's kind of given uh, along the way. On the, as the book is going to kind of close, it's going to end up with... Um, with this language about uh, how we talk about our businesses and stuff like that, and whether our speech includes an understanding of what God might do or might not. Ironically, at the beginning of, uh, or in the, in the last chapter, in chapter 2, there's, there was this little bit about, um, about how speech is kind of only has so much power to it. Okay? I don't know if anybody picked up on this. Rylan actually pointed this out to me this last, last week. Um, when he said that, you know, it's, it's ironic that uh, James says in chapter 2 that if all you do is you say something uh, good to somebody, a poor person that's in your midst and has need, um, but you don't actually do anything about it, then you really haven't, haven't done anything at all. And the part he's talking about is in, in uh, verse, um, let's say, look in verse, verses uh, 14, 15, and 16 here. Where he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? Isn't that interesting? That he, in there he says, you know, if, you, if all you do is you take somebody that's in need and you say, hey, you know, hope things work out for you. Go be warm. Be well fed. Yeah. But you actually don't do anything about it. It doesn't do anything. And then later on, and this is just, a, just a few verses later, it's almost as if James has forgotten about that, right? And he's talking about how powerful and strong words are. Well, there's some things that uh, words can do and some things that words can't do, right? Like a words on their own don't really feed anybody, do they? Okay? But I think what James, part of what James is striking at is that words have the power to kind of lead us into those, those, those kinds of actions. If we let them, all right? If we live as people who have integrity and live as, as whole people, that's part of the whole thing that this, this book is trying to teach us to do, then we should be people that our, our lives begin to match out the words that we have for each other. We should be people who say, who when we talk about uh, giving a blessing to somebody, we should know that that means that we have to follow up those kind words with kind actions. That's the way it's supposed to work, right? Words don't have power just by themselves, but part of the power that they have is they have the power, just like a rudder does, to kind of turn the whole ship around. 
They can kind of lead us by our speech. And it's possible that when we become people who are, are people of blessings, maybe that starts with our words, but it begins to drag our bodies in, in along for the ride. The way that we use our mouths to bless other people begins to teach us that we have to actually use our hands and our feet to do it too. And so that what begins here takes root here. That power tool is uh, the way that James describes it here. It has the ability to kind of start things in motion. When we become a people of blessing and we become committed to using our speech to blessing each other, committed to using our words to build each other up instead of to tear each other down, then we find that it's not just our speech that we've committed to the project. We've actually committed our whole selves and our spirits and our souls and our bodies to the work too. I'm going to say that because when I say let us be a community of blessing, I don't mean let us just be a community that uses words in that direction but uses them hollowly. But let's use our words to bless each other in a way that commits us to use our bodies to bless each other too. That commits us to throw our whole selves in to the project. Listen, I know that sometimes we struggle. I struggle uh, with knowing how to get my tongue pointed in the right direction. I struggle sometimes, and I find myself in, in, in conversations that I know are kind of destructive, and I know that, that aren't really doing what I want to do. And I want to, uh, I, I know that you feel like that too. Sometimes this, that's part of what James is talking about here, is sometimes it feels like our tongues just kind of get away from us. So I want to offer today, and, and uh, as we close today, I want to offer a very just practical three-step kind of thing of how we can kind of begin to turn away from that a little bit, Okay. There's nothing complicated, no, no, no particular um, uh, trick formula here, but I just want to offer three things that I think are consistent with James that can help us begin to turn that around and help us become a people that really looks like a community of blessing. The first one's real easy, and it was that one that we came up in the first chapter of the book, right, when James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, right? I think the first thing that we got to do to be a community of blessing is we've got to start by saying less. Say less. Less is more. And yes, that does apply to the sermon too. I'm with you on that, okay? But saying less is the best way to start when we're learning to tame our tongues. Most of us could do with a few less words, right? That's right. And part of the process of learning to kind of retrain ourselves here, okay, is that we learn to begin to have some discipline about restraining our speech all around. Learn to say less. Gary, I know that I've heard this from you more than once, but if you, if you find yourself in a hole, what do you need to do? Quit digging. Okay, quit digging. You got to stop digging. We got to stop. We got to learn to have some restraint. The, the first thing that we got to do is learn to restrain our tongues and slow everything down a little bit and say less. There is a mind boggling amount of speech present in our 
world today. Most of it's not helpful. Okay? Most of it's destructive. I think we would do well if we kind of learned James' advice and we became, first of all, at the, on, the, on the very beginning part of the project, we, we, we became quick to listen and slow to speak. And by the way, when you become quick to listen and slow to speak, that uh, slow to become angry thing tends to kind of follow along. If you find yourself quick to speak, a lot of times you can work yourself into being angrier than you were at the start. Have you ever noticed that? Ever started talking about something and you may be a little mad about it, but by the time you talked for about 10 minutes, you were really mad about it? Words can be not just like that match. They can be like the gasoline thrown onto the fire to start with. They can take that small bit of anger and they can inflame it and enrage it. Being slow to speak, on the other hand, being quick to listen, slows that whole train down. And people that are quick to listen find that they actually are slow to become angry. Those things aren't just like random bits tied together. They're actually tied together. One tends to follow from the other. So be quick to listen say less say less and then the second one i want to kind of insert in as part of what james has said here in chapter three and that is learn to be able to see see the image of god in the person that you're speaking to James here, uh, he actually says this really profound uh, theological thing. It's, you know, it's, this chapter is so, James is sneaky. Because he, he wants to sound like he's folksy. He sounds like he's just, you know, given these kind of analogies and metaphors. And it sounds just kind of like an old folk wisdom or something like that. And then he sneaks in some bit of theology that is about as deep as you can put. He says, the problem here with your speech is that it seems like from the same mouth comes blessing about God and cursing towards the person that is created in God's image. What he's meaning by that is that we fail to recognize in each other the image of God. Our core fundamental belief about humanity is that we were created in the image of God. And so when we turn our destructive speech, when we turn our most powerful weapon against other humans, the things that we're tearing down are created in the very image of God. James just has no place for that kind of hypocrisy. He says, how are, you going to, how are you going to sing curse songs towards your brothers and sister? How are you going to lay down a diss track and then come in and sing praise be to God on Sunday morning? He says, that doesn't work. God's heard all the things that you've said about those things that are in his image. And he recognizes that as what your true feelings are, right? I got to say, though, it's, sometimes it's hard to see the image of God in other people, isn't it? Some people are easier than others. You know, just for a little bonus, the people that it's easiest to see the image of God in, they're usually the quiet ones. What we find is that when we're engaged in a conflict with somebody else, one of the first things that happens is we begin to feel ourselves more, or it becomes harder and harder to recognize the image of God in them, right? It becomes harder and harder to see those holy things, the righteous things, the just things that may be a part of them. But you know, 
when it comes down to it, if we'll stop and we'll train ourselves to speak less and we'll practice the discipline of learning to see the image of God in somebody else, if we just look for it, we can begin to see it. You know, that person that argues passionately with you about some particular thing, some little bit of their life, you know, I bet if you really stopped and you were ready to listen, you might still disagree with them, but I bet you would find within their argument, within their speech, I bet you would find if you listened, if you listened to their passion, you would see at the bottom of that well that there was something really important at stake for them. And it was probably something that you think is important too. You might not think it's as important as they do, but you probably would have a little more value to think about it. The problem isn't that we don't have things in common. The problem is that we don't take the time to look. We don't take the time to see it. And of course, the thing that we hold most in common above all else is that we were created in the image of God. And somehow, in the core of who we are, the very likeness of God is alive in some way. Somewhere in the core of who we are, there is the likeness of the God who is love. There, right at the center of a person, even though if it's covered in all kinds of layers of brokenness and fragmentation. The God who loves justice and righteousness, who desires goodness for creation, that lives within the heart of all of us. Now, whether or not we are able to dig down and uncover the layers of the onion to get to the bottom of it or not, I don't know, man. But it's a fundamental belief of mine that within each created human person lies the image of God. Do you believe that? I believe it. And so sometimes the problem of me not seeing it, it's not whether or not it's there for the other person, it's whether or not I have the discipline to be able to look for it. My, more my problem than it is theirs. So let's be people that start by saying less, and let's use that time of saying less and listening, let's use that time to really practice the discipline of looking for the image of God in our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. Seek that thing out. And then the last thing is just this. Learn to bless people. You know, I find that if you only try to practice this on the side of the things that you're not supposed to say, you're going to get yourself more just kind of wound up and kind of wrapped up around yourself, okay? And I don't want to just tell you the obvious thing of like, don't say bad things about people. That's true too. Please don't do that, okay? But you know what? The best way to get towards that, towards decreasing all that negative speech, is to learn to fill your speech with blessing instead. I always think that's true. And when you learn to say about other people, the things that are of value or the things that um, you know, point out the love of God and the image of God within them, you know, it, can, it becomes uh, obvious to your own self that using other speech to kind of tear that person down is counterproductive and useless. I, I don't know, man. Maybe it doesn't work that way for everybody. Maybe I'm just, um, I'm, I'm just kind of wish, issuing some wishful thinking here. But I really believe 
that if we wanted to practice disciplined speech, that the best way around it is to begin using our speech intentionally to build other people up. You've done this probably, I know in our house this happens every once in a while, right? Where we just kind of get around and around each other. We have, some, we have like some kind of huge dramatic kid battle about something. And we get to the point where we say, all right, we're going to say about ten nice things about your sister right now. Right? I hate to tell you, man, what's good for those kiddos is good for us adults too. And the church would be a lot better off if we would all just take the space not in some kind of childish way, you know. I mean, you know, that, 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 that game with the kids can kind of devolve pretty quickly into, you've got nice hair, okay, all right, whatever. Yeah. But, if, but when you're really at the core of the practice of, like, beginning to speak what you find of value to somebody else, it changes the way that you interact with them. It really does, right? And so let me just say that what I, would, what I really want to come to at the end of the sermon today is just this little practical thing. Who can you bless this week? Hey, this isn't just rhetoric. This isn't Stephen just kind of realizing he needs to get done with this long sermon. This is actually the thing that I want us to practice. And I want you to think right now about who it is in your space, in your world, that you have the opportunity to bless this week. I had a couple of them last week. One of my kids was doing some extracurricular stuff, and I was able to talk to their coach yesterday and say, hey, look, man, I really appreciate the time that you've been doing this with my kid. It's been really meaningful for her. It's been important for her, and I, I, I want to say I, thank, I really thank you for it. I had a chance to do something of that earlier this week when I was uh, working with somebody in our community that was really struggling. And, and they, they, they took a couple of small steps in the right direction. Their problems are by no means solved, but they were moving in the right direction, and I was able to say, hey, I can tell you are really trying and you're really working and I can see how these small steps are beginning to pay off. I believe in you. Sometimes I have opportunity to, to walk up to somebody and to say, hey, you know what? I really think a lot about you. I really think you're an important, neat person. You know, I just love hanging out with you. You know, there's somebody in your life that needs to hear something like that this week, right? There's somebody in your life that is kind of in that place where they, you know, kind of getting a little discouraged, kind of feeling like the whole world's against them, and they could really use somebody to come in and to speak light and to say, hey, you know what? I think you're important. I'm glad we're friends. I'm glad we get to hang out. You're valuable to me. You're important to me. There's somebody in your life that needs to hear that they're doing a good job about something. There's somebody else in your life that needs to hear this very week that at least somebody in their world sees the image of God in them, that sees them as something more than just a little trash. Somebody needs to get blessed in your world. And I pray that God will bless them. Not by some divine trickery, that means they get a good parking space when they're looking for one at Walmart. I pray that the Lord of heaven will bless the people of this community this week by striking a few matches with people that use their speech and the power of the Holy Spirit 
to bless the people around them. Let's pray together. Oh God, we bless your name. We proclaim our love for you and our gratefulness for your presence and work in our lives. And as our words have been used to bless you, may we use our speech to bless other people too. And may you be at work among us, creating blessing on blessing. As words that will then be followed by actions, affirm the goodness in life that is true of every person. Oh God, teach us to be a community of blessing, a people of blessing, so that your name is honored among us, but so is the presence of your likeness in each other. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Hey, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, but a little differently today uh, with the way that we're going to sing. Uh, we sing a lot of songs to the Lord, as it should be, right? Uh, we're going to have, for this invitation song, we're going to sing a song to each other. Let's stand and sing together.